Hey, you guys had a great conversation with Dave Shepard from MedWorld Advisors today about the different types of buyers you might come across as a seller of a company, let's say 5 million to 20 million in transaction value. So private equity, competitors, strategic buyers, corporate acquirers, individuals, maybe your own management team with an employee takeover. We go through all of that. What are the pros and cons of each type of buyer? Thought it was a great session. Hope you enjoy it. Be sure to do your own homework. All right. Dave Shepard from MedWorld Advisors. Thanks for showing up today. How are you doing? Good morning, Adam. Good to see you. Doing great. Fresh off a whirlwind tour of uh, Europe, working on some deals and ready to be back in the U.S. and to make some things happen here. Uh, great, crazy time to be spending over there. It's um, March 11th, 2022 right now, in case people wind up watching this through the future, which they will. So... Um, very strange time in, in Europe, but glad you're back safely. And today we've got um, Dave on. So I'll just intro MedWorld. You guys, we've worked with you for some time. Um, obviously, we love your niche. You're focused on middle market med tech. And typically you guys are working around 10 million to 100 million in enterprise value, right? Yeah, ballpark in that in that range. Uh, there can be some variability, but that's that's the, that's a major focus. Yeah. Okay. And so the point of these exit prep sessions is to kind of keep it around 20 minutes and get a valuable nugget that our owners, um, potential sellers, wherever they are in the exit process can, can take and, and use and hopefully you know, match up with people like MedWorld if, if they're in your niche. So today we'd love to talk about the different types of buyers that a seller of your type of company, like we know you focus on med tech, but let's just say for the purpose of our community, for the owners out there, especially 10 to 100 million, let's say even lower, let's just try to go 5 million to 20 million. For the owners who are running that type of company who are starting the exit process and wondering what type of, of buyers are going to come across in this market, because it's been a very crazy market with certain buyers over the past 12 to 18 months being much more active than they, they typically are. Maybe we can walk through the main types of, of buyers that you and I discussed a little bit before this call, you know, we've seen at BizNexus and a lot of activity with strategics, especially over the past 12 to 18 months, that's been insane. Then private equity, individuals, fundless sponsors, and then you mentioned employee buyouts. We've seen a lot of that. So I'm going to just hand it over to you and let you kind of run through in, in whichever order you'd like the main types of buyers that Jane Doe, business owner of 5 million to 20 million transaction value company would see in this market, March 11th, 2022 if she were going to take her, her business to market with a, an intermediary like MedWorld. Sure. Thanks for the question, Adam. And, and again, thanks for having us on, on this discussion. Um, you know, it's really important, important for um, sellers to be, to be thinking about uh, the types of buyers that might be available for their, for, for their business because they have, to, they have to start thinking about 
not only the uh, the sale process itself, but who might buy their company and what's that going to mean for them uh, in, in the follow-up. And it, it could mean different things relative to them, depending upon what their objectives are. Um, they, if, they're think, if they're thinking in their future, they want to stay and run the company and build it to a higher level, That's one that might be one kind of buyer you would favor. If they just want to maximize their their cash out, that could be a different kind of uh, buyer. Uh, so there's different things to, to consider, including, including how you want to, your legacy to be with your employees. Um, so all those things are important. So when you consider um, potential buyers that are that are available, obviously the best ones are the ones that can make you a deal. When you think about um, the types that, uh, you know, I don't think there's a wrong type, but I don't think there's a right type of buyer uh, for a particular uh, seller. Uh, however, each one does bring certain uh, attributes that can be favorable and, and some, you know, some things that maybe are less favorable. So thinking about the world of uh, finance, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of money out there today. I think that's, I think that's pretty clear. There's been money. Too much. Years. Yeah. yeah. A, lot of, a lot of dry powder. There's maybe a little less Russian dry powder today. Hey, <laughs> March 11th. And then a week for, ago, yeah. yeah, for and for for appropriate reasons and rightly so, and let's let's kick those guys out of uh, out of the world until they decide to behave. Um, that's my yeah. opinion. Uh, yeah, but even even with that stated, there's still a lot of available uh, resources for a seller. Some of them, I guess, the standard. I, I guess we'll start with the probably the most likely type of buyer, and then we can build out from there. Sure. The most likely buyer for a middle market company is either going to be one of two things. It's, it's either going to be a competitor or it's going to be a private equity uh, company, the financial type of uh, type of buyer. And often, Got it. So, so just just for the layman who are watching this, right, if a competitor is buying you, that's going to be a strategic buyer or a corporate acquirer. And then private equity, that's a buyout shop. That's an organized fund that just has the intent of buying your specific type of company. And they're doing it over and over and over again. Yeah, that's that's correct. And, and, and in today's world, uh, because PE has been so active, their your competitor might be owned by PE firms. <laughs> so yeah. that can be can, can be a can be a hybrid of, uh, of both. So so let's start with the financial buyer, the private equity. What they're looking for, first of all, just to, to back up a little bit on them, what they have done is they've gone out and they've raised a large fund of money. Sometimes a hundred million, sometimes four hundred million, sometimes a billion dollars, and they've raised it from you know super fun kind type of investors but with a focus that they want to go out and buy certain companies and be able to help build those companies into a certain level and then, and then sell them. That's how they pay back their investors uh, over, over time. So, and they'll still have managing directors within these private equity firms. And they'll have, of course have all kinds of resources to help the seller in terms of how they would grow their, grow their business. So, so they, they look at a minimum size of business and a minimum profitability of a company. They really are, they're, in a lot of ways, they're very formulaic. They're financial people, so you expect financial people to, to be that way. There are some variations. There are some that are a little more strategic, some that are a little more innovative. Overall, though, what they're looking for is if a company has at least a million dollars of EBITDA um, and let's say five million of sales, then they might be interested in a conversation. Scale does matter. The more revenue you have, the more profit profitability you have the more they're interested in the company uh, and even they're more even they're willing to pay for it in terms of uh, multiples uh, of um, your profit or, or your revenue. And then often when I talk about these buyers being formulaic, that's I'm thinking about what they might potentially offer you for your company would be a multiple. So, you know, 10 times your EBITDA or, you know, two times your sales so that these are the multiples that we will often speak about. 
and they're formulaic because they're doing this over and over and over again. So, you know, in your niche, right, med tech, 10 million to 100 million enterprise value, you've got a lot of buyout funds that are very much niche down, right? They just want to buy one type of company, they want to buy it over and over again, maybe they want to roll them up and they want to exit at, at, a, at a larger price. So for the seller, going back to Jane Doe seller, that means like this is an experienced buyer. Right. You're going to yes. have someone who knows exactly what they want. They're going through these negotiations over and over again with owners just like you. And this is an argument for maybe teaming up with an intermediary like MedWorld because you're in there. One, you've got inroads to that type of private equity buyer. You know who that who's in that universe, who the active buyers are, who are actually making transactions. But two, you're also out there negotiating these types of deals over and over. So in terms of having a river guide by your side as a first time seller, a one time seller, that is the type of transaction where maybe you might want to think about getting somebody like Dave Shepard on your side to help negotiate with the buyers who, who are going to be pretty ruthless, in my opinion. Yeah, yes. Uh, and to your point, as far as working with the, the private equity firms, and some specialize in certain industries and some are across industries, we've found uh, there's, there's kind of a core of about five or 600 of them that seem to be interested in the middle market, in the healthcare space, in the med tech space where we, where we work. So we have a, I don't think you can ever have an intimate relationship with 500 people, but we know who they are. They, they know who we are and uh, we understand how to work with them and we know how to reach, what, reach them on behalf of uh, the sellers that we would work with. And to your point, we understand how to help them be able to make the right deal. And at the same time, you know, while they can be a little bit uh, you know, ruthless because they're financial and formulaic, at the same time, most of them are pretty good people. They want to make a good deal. If you talk to them, they're not trying to screw somebody, but they do want to make the best deal that makes sense for them, for their fund. For They have investors to account for as well. So they want to do something right for their fund, but they also want to do something right for the seller. And so it has to be kind of a meeting of the mind and make sure it's mutual uh, benefit. Yeah. And I, don't, I didn't mean to say ruthless with a negative connotation. Um, I really meant just they're, they're going to be savvy negotiators. They yeah, know what absolutely. they want. They know what they're going after. They're doing this over and over again. It's not like selling to a strategic where maybe this is their first acquisition and yeah. they know their synergies, but they, they haven't done this deal structure over and over and over again. Yeah, that's correct. And, and they are going to try to make their best deal and they have their formulas and they have their they have their valuation committees and, and that sort of thing. And so what our job is, is really to help them maximize when they go to valuation committee, maximize how they can see the opportunity. And one of the advantages that I think we have in MedWorld is the fact that the people on our team, we've been focused on medical and many of us, like myself, I've actually ran global business units. So I, I understand the med tech industry, the healthcare industry. And so we're, we're pretty good at helping our sellers explain their value proposition uh, to a financial uh, buyer. And sometimes they just don't fully understand it. And so when we're able to explain it, we are able, maybe able to get, get an extra point or two in terms of that, that multiple, and that can make a huge difference in the outcome for both sides. And they're not unreasonable. They're willing to pay it if they understand what the valuation opportunity is. And that's one thing that we really try to work hard with our sellers is, is to create, if this company was to, was to buy you, what are the possible things that could, could come for them? And then that can make a difference whether they might offer eight times X or 10 times X or 12 times X. Yeah. And then let's just assume for the most part, everyone's overpaying in this market. In terms of the, the deal timeline, private equity is a faster deal for a seller, right? Absolutely. The financial people have money. 
they're ready to spend it. Uh, they can execute quickly. Uh, they do have to go through a diligence process, uh, of course. And usually what happens is the diligence delays are on behalf of the seller because they're just not prepared for all the things they're going to be hit with relative right. to, uh, to a legal diligence, a financial diligence, maybe technology diligence, that sort of thing. And there are you know, companies that are in $10 million to $100 million enterprise value. Yeah, they have a good team, but that team is running the business and they don't have spare people sitting around to supply all this documentation and the diligence thing. So sometimes while they think they're ready for it, it does take them a little longer to be able to handle it, to, to get to a deal close. And that's one thing another an intermediary like ourselves can do is we have a team, um, we have a business operations director who really focus on helping our sellers to prepare while we're running the process and parallel helping them to prepare for that diligence time so we can maybe save them a little bit in time to close. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, definitely another argument for, for hiring someone like Dave Shepard in that type of situation. And then with the nature of a fund, of a private equity fund, we should say it's just, let's say the life of a fund is seven, 10 years. It's just built in to buy and sell relatively quickly, right? Compared to a strategic, which I think we can transition over to now pretty nicely, where if you're dealing with someone like an industry competitor, what does that look like versus going with a private equity firm for Jane Doe seller? Hey guys, no ad placement today. Um, instead, I just want to call attention to the role that Ukraine has played in the development of this podcast and BizNexus across the board. This podcast is really just one example. Um, this thing has been edited, scrubbed, doctored by our teammates in the Ukraine all along since the first episode. And as far as the BizNexus platform goes, all dev, quality assurance, design, data efforts, that's all taken place in the Ukraine as well. I think there are simply countless online experiences out there that we all probably take for granted that quite simply would not exist if it weren't for the hardworking, smart, generally amazing people of Ukraine, people like the teammates we've been fortunate enough to collaborate with through the course of, of this business. And I'm just going to drop some links in the show notes to help point you in the right direction if you want to help Ukraine in this time of need. I hope you'll take some time to give those a look and help where you can. Yeah, what's fun about working with strategics is, is there is no formula. Uh, yeah. This is an opportunity uh, some of them are very aggressive. They want to, to uh, roll up and, and buy their competitors, be able to gain more market share. Maybe they want to gain a technology. Uh, maybe they want to gain customers. So there, there's many reasons why a competitor may want to acquire a seller's company in the, in the same marketplace. So therefore, it, it's something that uh, is interesting when you get into the conversation. They may or may not be ready for it. If they're ready for it, sometimes that can actually happen fairly quickly. If they're not ready for it, then sometimes it can take a long time. So I, I've seen things happen strategically where it's competitive and they were thinking roll up and they want to be able to expand in their marketplace, they, they can do things in three to six months and things in situations where they hadn't really thought about it. And the bigger they are, the longer it takes. And so I can, I've seen it take it up to two years with some strategics, especially the bigger companies. It takes them six months sometimes just to get everybody together and have a cup of coffee at the strategic and think about, you know, if they really want to do this or not. Because what happens in strategic companies uh, is essentially when they make the acquisition it's going to roll up into somebody's budget and and that person needs to be ready to to take that and a lot of times what happens is they want to make sure that they're not the only ones who's got their you know what on the line they like to make yeah. sure that there's other people involved with that and a lot of times the what i what really hear is like nobody gets fired for not making an acquisition but people do get fired if you make that acquisition that doesn't go well yeah yeah. And, and with strategics, you've got to deal with trust issues and confidentiality issues and board approval and everything else that might drag out a deal. I mean, again, that's a, a different argument, but an argument for working with an intermediary like a, like a MedWorld Advisors to help navigate that. What information should you disclose when, along what timeline, all complications yeah, and that's, and that's that are unique to a strategic 
And that's one of the value we bring is myself being a formerly, uh, you know, Covidian Medtronic guy. And we've got people that are formerly Philips, GE. So we've got a lot of depth of experience. And we were on that side of the table who actually used to look at these kind of deals. And, and so we understand what they're thinking on the strategic side. And we can actually flush them out a little bit because everybody always wants to hear about the deal because they want to know what's going on. They want to know about the market landscape. But that's different than are they really serious about it. And so we don't want to hold up our seller if the company really is not serious about it, but they're just trying to get information. And so yeah, we can gather have, intel. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. what we like to do is we have to flush them out pretty quickly to, quickly to understand if they're going to be somebody seriously who's going to play. It's just going to take them time to get their group together. Or is this is somebody who's just fishing for information? Yeah. And I think it's important to differentiate between a strategic in your space and then one that's trying to acquire into your space, right? So maybe it's a direct competitor now, or maybe it's somebody who's just trying to move into your space and they're, they're not actually a competitor today. We've seen a ton of that. I mean, when COVID hit and everything stopped momentarily, the, the first buyers who hopped back in were definitely strategics, right? I mean, companies yeah. that, that had good cash positions that were looking at this as a potential long-term opportunity for, for acquiring, uh, maybe companies that weren't doing so well or acquiring into, you know, we've seen a lot of acquiring into tech and, you know, areas that have done well post-COVID versus some other industries. So strategics have been super active. Again, it's March 11th today, 2022. That has not changed. I'd argue for us, that's that's the most active buyer on our platform that we've seen. So it's something to definitely consider. Yeah, and, and it's something, it's an area where I think actually we've been helpful to our clients over the years uh, as MedWorld that, when we look at the universe of potential buyers for me, you know, the financial buyers, the, the strategic buyers, we've uh, often found sometimes that strategic that you mentioned a minute or two ago, the one that's actually outside the core space that wants to get into that space. Sometimes uh, we, we've actually found we've got uh, executed LOIs for company, for sellers from potential buyers. They, they never even thought about because they didn't think about them being in their space. But one of the things we do is we go out and think about who else could be in that space and are they thinking about it in that Jason Space is going to have a conversation with the CEO of that company. Hey, I'm glad you reached out because we were actually thinking about it. And sometimes those people who want to get into that space sometimes can bring your best values. Yeah. And for that type of deal, uh, I don't want to get off track, but for, again, 10 to 100 million, the types of companies that you're looking at, maybe you're not just posting a listing on BizNexus. Maybe you're going out and you're doing a, a selective buyer list and you're approaching them strategically and you're having a confidential indication of interest. And then you move towards an LOI and then you go into exclusivity, but it's a very targeted closed circle process compared to, you know, some of these other types of deals where you might just blast something out on BizNexus. Yeah, that's correct. Every situation is unique. You know, I've been doing M&A long enough that uh, I always said that no two deals are ever the same. Every deal is kind of a little bit of a snowflake. And it's really the same thing for how you go out and how we engage with a particular client. Every deal is unique because each seller has their own motivation. Um, they have their own desires and their opportunities may be just a little bit different. So we want to make sure that we're focusing our process around what is going to meet their needs and their best opportunities for their next steps. Yeah. And for those types of deals that you might just blast out on a BizNexus, those are going to be targeting primarily individual buyers. Maybe you could talk a little bit about, again, we're, for this, we're going to talk about 5 million to 20 million. So even if you're not dealing with individual buyers as much as some other intermediaries are who are at a lower level, tell me about individual buyers and that whole market, because we've seen a ton of that with the great resignation and so many people interested in acquisition entrepreneurship, buying a business, you know, access to financing, at least today, hopefully it, it stays that way. You know, we've seen a lot of activity with individual buyers. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I, th I think that's something that really has come up 
I think it's always been there, but it, de it definitely has increased. And you know, partly is, you know, there's a lot of people like me, you know, her that middle-aged group that, that doesn't really want to work for the man or the woman anymore. They want to be yeah. out on their own, not ready to retire yet, to have a lot of energy, a lot, a lot to give and wouldn't mind uh, running their own company. Uh, so there's a lot of people like that that uh, have left the, the Fortune 500 world and then want to be involved in something and, and be able to still build something. So those are good. Those are good potential buyers. There's also on we, the we, we call them corporate Ronins at uh, at, at BizNexus. Yeah, just corporate, like corporate cor corporate Ronins or okay. corporate refugees. Yeah, yeah, yeah people yeah, who have been go. yeah. made good money and maybe um, their kids are old enough where where they've got some time to go out and do something as an entrepreneur, but they don't want to start something from scratch. So they're you know, they, they've got funds, they've got, they've got access to funds. And actually I do want to touch on that with the individual buyer for you. Like if you have a deal that's attractive, you've got to weed through a lot of individual buyers in this market because they're all over the place. Maybe if you could also speak a little bit about how you qualify them. I mean, who actually is a potential buyer? Who's not that, that I think would be really helpful for, for Jane Doe business owner. Who's, who's looking at maybe um, speaking to, to an owner through an intermediary or attempting to go on their own. Yeah, and I think that's one of the advantages of having an intermediary is that uh, we'll, we will speak to, to any of the potential buyers to understand if they're credible or not. And, and so if we talk to them, we find out, okay, they really you know, have a good pedigree, but they just don't have the funds. Uh, you know, we'll take the time to weed that out a little bit for the seller so the seller doesn't have to talk to a thousand people just to get to those top five or ten buyers who really are the ones they should be talking to about a possible uh, relationship to make a deal. At the end of the day, Adam, um, with, with all the things we've been talking about with finances and money and that sort of thing, deals still evolve around relationships. And it's important for us that we really help that seller, whether it's a big strategic or whether it's a financial buyer or individual buyer, get a relationship with that potential buyer so that they can kind of work together on how this is going to work to get a deal done, how this is going to work after the deal to make sure it's successful for everybody that's involved, all the stakeholders, you know, employees, the seller, uh, any other investors, that's that sort of thing. So that relationship becomes important. That's one of the things we try to help with. And, and for, for people, like for some of the sellers, you guys have the relationship because you're med world, that's your job, you're developing these relationships. But for Jane Doe, first time seller, vetting buyers, right? So private equity, maybe they have committed capital, maybe not. Committed capital is just, do they actually have a pool of money behind this fund to go out and buy up companies? Or are they just trying to identify a deal and then scramble out to find some financing? Strategics, right? Is this company doing well, right? I mean, are they in a position to acquire another company? But individuals, what are you looking at? Are you asking for a letter from an accountant? Is it just approval of financing? And, and at what point are you asking that awkward question with an individual? Yeah, we're going to have the first conversation with them just to find out um, what kind of buyer they are and what they're looking for so that we could actually... What we find sometimes is the deal we have on hand may not be the right deal for that buyer, but maybe we might be able to help them at some, at some other junction. So it's kind of find out where they're at and kind of steer them in the right direction. Now, if it turns out, we think this could be something somebody who's qualifying for uh, our particular seller. Then we'll need to get a little bit more detailed in, ter in terms of do they really have what it takes to get this particular deal done with this particular uh, seller. And things are, things are important relative to understanding your seller, first of all. Are they willing to provide some financing to a credible buyer? Because there are some people that are credible relative that come out of the corporate world that could maybe make a little bit of a payment to a seller over time. 
And so those are things, uh, yeah, but if a seller's not open to that, then you'll want to start that conversation. Do they want to have all cash? Then you're going to find out, you got to find out from your buyer, you just got to be blunt about it. Where's your cash? Because at the end of the day, that, that that's all your seller is going to take. Then you need to have make sure that's available. So it's kind of, it's probably dependent, interdependent upon what the seller is willing to do. If they're willing to take a little bit um, of money at risk because they'd like to get a greater valuation, then maybe we have something to talk about with somebody who doesn't have all the, all the cash, but they, they're proven to be a good operator and they've got some banking. So it's a little bit flexible and variable. Okay. Yeah, that's a great recap. So we've got private equity, strategics, individuals. We're coming up on the end, but you did mention you wanted to talk about employee takeovers because you have a lot of experience with that. Maybe maybe if you just cover that, um, that we could yeah, wrap it up, that'd be great. Yeah, I think that's something that's still, that that's, used to happen a long time ago and then doesn't happen as much anymore, but I think it's still something that's viable in the marketplace is some, for a seller, for especially for a small to medium-sized enterprise, they have a good relationship with their employees. Some of those employees would actually like to take the business over and run it. They just don't have the means because they've been employees and so they really haven't had a lot of capital. But there's a lot of uh, different types of funding that could be available to help them buy the business from the seller, uh, including some of these private equity companies we've talked about. Some of them are willing to step down and help the employees take it over and they would drive it. The employees get a certain percent, the, the private equity gets a certain percent and they'll have objectives around growth and, and they both can win over time. And eventually the employees can just to take over. They can buy out the private equity people and take the whole thing over. So those are things that I think should not be ignored um, if an adult seller wants to take care of their employees as part of the stakeholders in, in their in their exit. There are many options available. Yeah, especially for those owners. You know, Jane Doe, business owner, just does not have any succession plan in place. Management should be something that you're looking at if they want to stay on board. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Dave, I think hopefully this is the first of many. This was was very helpful for me, for our community. Thank you for taking the time to show up today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, Adam. I look forward to the next time. Yeah, and MedWorld Advisors, we're going to put all of your info under the video, if you're listening to it as a podcast, it'll be in the notes. Let me just do my fancy outro video and we'll close it out. Thanks, Dave. That's good. Good to see you. Bye. Bye.